Section thirty six of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume One by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Literary Magazine, I forty seven. He engaged also to superintend and contribute largely to another monthly publication entitled The Literary Magazine or Universal Review, the first number of which came out in May this year. Footnote. This employment, wrote Murphy, Life, page 88, engrossed but little of Johnson's time. He resigned himself to indolence, took no exercise, rose about two, and then received the visits of his friends. Authors long since forgotten waited on him as their oracle, and he gave responses in the chair of criticism. He listened to the complaints, the schemes, and the hopes and fears of a crowd of inferior writers, who, he said, in the words of Roger Ascombe, lived men knew not how, and died obscure, men marked not when. He believed that he could give a better history of Grub Street than any man living. His house was filled with a succession of visitors till four or five in the evening. During the whole time, he presided at his tea-table. In The Rambler, number 145, Johnson takes the part of these inferior writers. A race of beings equally obscure and equally indigent, who, because their usefulness is less obvious to vulgar apprehensions, live unrewarded and die unpitied and who have been long exposed to insult without a defender, and to censure without an apologist. End footnote. What were his emoluments from this undertaking, and what other writers were employed in it, I have not discovered. He continued to write in it with intermissions till the fifteenth number, and I think he never gave better proofs of the force, acuteness, and vivacity of his mind than in this miscellany. Whether we consider his original essays or his reviews of the works of others, the preliminary address dagger to the public is a proof how this great man could embellish with the graces of superior composition even so trite a thing as the plan of a magazine. His original essays are An Introduction to the Political State of Great Britain, Dagger, footnote. In this essay, Johnson describes Canada as a region of desolate sterility, a cold, uncomfortable, uninviting region from which nothing but furs and fish were to be had, end footnote. Remarks on the Militia Bill, Dagger, footnote. The Bill of 1756 that he considers passed through the commons but was rejected by the lords it is curious as showing the comparative population of the different counties devonshire was to furnish three thousand two hundred men twice as many as lancashire essex kent norfolk and suffolk were each to furnish one thousand nine hundred and twenty men lancashire surrey sussex and wiltshire sixteen hundred durham and bedfordshire eight hundred from the three ridings of Yorkshire, 4,800 were to be raised. The men were to be exercised every Sunday, before and after service. The Literary Magazine, page 58, end of footnote. 
observations on his britannic majesty's treaties with the empress of russia and the land grave of hesse castle dagger footnote in this paper are found the forcible words the desperate remedy of desperate distress which have been used since by orators and footnote observations on the present state of affairs dagger footnote johnson considers here the war in america between the english and french and shows a strong feeling for the natives who had been wronged by both nations such is the contest that no honest man can heartily wish success to either party the american dispute between the french and us is only the quarrel of two robbers for the spoils of a passenger the french had this in their favour that they had treated the natives better than we the favour of the indians which they enjoy with very few exceptions among all the nations of the northern continent we ought to consider with other thoughts this favour we might have enjoyed if we had been careful to deserve it End of footnote and memoirs of frederick the third sick king of prussia dagger footnote these memoirs end with the year seventeen forty five johnson had intended to continue them for he writes we shall here suspend our narrative End of footnote. in all these he displays extensive political knowledge and sagacity expressed with uncommon energy and perspicuity without any of those words which he sometimes took a pleasure in adopting in imitation of sir thomas brown of whose christian morals he this year gave in addition with his life asterisk prefix to it which is one of johnson's best biographical performances in one instance only in these essays has he indulged his brownism dr robertson the historian mentioned it to me as having at once convinced him that johnson was the author of the memoirs of the king of prussia speaking of the pride which the old king the father of his hero took in being master of the tallest regiment in europe he says to review this towering regiment was his daily pleasure and to perpetuate it was so much his care that when he met a tall woman he immediately commanded one of his titanian retinue to marry her that they might propagate posterity. Footnote. The sentence continues, and produce heirs to the father's habiliments. Another instance may be adduced of his brownism in the following line. The war continued in an equilibration by alternate losses and advantages. End footnote. For this Anglo-Latin word proserity, Johnson had, however, the authority of Addison. Footnote. In a letter from the Secretary of the Tall Club, in The Guardian, number 108, If the fair sex look upon us with an eye of favour, we shall make some attempts to lengthen out the human figure and restore it to its ancient proserity. End of footnote. His reviews of the following books, Birch's History of the Royal Society Dagger, Murphy's Gray's Inn Journal Dagger, Wharton's Essay on the Writings and Genius of Pope, Volume 1 Dagger, Hampton's Translation of Polybius Dagger, Blackwell's Memoirs of the Court of Augustus Dagger, 
Russell's Natural History of Aleppo Dagger, Sir Isaac Newton's Arguments in Proof of a Deity Dagger, Borlase's History of the Isles of Scilly Dagger, Holmes' Experiments on Bleaching Dagger, Brown's Christian Morals Dagger, Hale's On Distilling Seawater, Ventilators in Ships, and Curing an Ill Taste in Milk Dagger, Lucas's Essay on Waters Dagger, Keith's Catalogue of the Scottish Bishops Dagger, Brown's History of Jamaica Dagger, Philosophical Transactions, Volume 49 Dagger, Mrs. Lennox's Translation of Sully's Memoirs, Asterisk, Miscellanies by Elizabeth Harrison Dagger, Evans's Map and Account of the Middle Colonies in America Dagger, Footnote as power is the constant and unavoidable consequence of learning there is no reason to doubt that the time is approaching when the americans shall in their turn have some influence on the affairs of mankind for literature apparently gains ground among them a library is established in carolina and some great electrical discoveries were made at philadelphia the fear that the American colonies will break off their dependence on England I have always thought chimerical and vain. They must be dependent, and if they forsake us, or be forsaken by us, they must fall into the hands of France. Literary Magazine, pages 293-299. Letter on the case of Admiral Bing, asterisk appeal to the people concerning admiral bing asterisk hanway's eight days journey and essay on tea asterisk the cadet a military treatise dagger some further particulars in relation to the case of admiral bing by a gentleman of oxford asterisk the conduct of the ministry relating to the present war impartially examined dagger a free inquiry into the nature and origin of evil asterisk all these from internal evidence were written by johnson some of them i know he avowed and have marked them with an asterisk accordingly the earthquake of lisbon i forty seven footnote johnson i have no doubt wrote the review of a true account of lisbon since the earthquake in which it is stated that the destruction was grossly exaggerated after quoting the writer at length he concludes such then is the actual real situation of that place which once was lisbon and has been since gazetically and pamphetically quite destroyed consumed annihilated now upon comparing this simple narration of things and facts with the false and absurd accounts which have rather insulted and imposed upon us than informed us who but must see the enormous disproportion exaggeration and the absurdities ever faithfully attached to it are inseparable attitudes of the ignorant the empty and the affected hence those eloquent tropes so familiar in every conversation monstrously pretty vastly little hence your eminent shoemaker farriers and undertakers it is to the same muddy source we owe the many falsehoods and absurdities we have been pestered with concerning lisbon thence your extravagantly sublime figures lisbon is no more 
can be seen no more etc with all the other prodigal effusions of bombast beyond that stretch of time or temper to enumerate End of footnote. johnson's art for liberty anno domini seventeen fifty mr thomas davies indeed ascribed to him the review of mr burke's inquiry into the origin of ideas of the sublime and beautiful and sir john hawkins with equal discernment has inserted it in his collection of johnson's works whereas it has no resemblance to johnson's composition and is well known to have been written by mr murphy who has acknowledged it to me and many others it is worthy of remark in justice to johnson's political character which has been misrepresented as abjectly submissive to power that his observations on the present state of affairs glow with as animated a spirit of constitutional liberty as can be found anywhere thus he begins the time is now come in which every englishman expects to be informed of the national affairs and in which he has a right to have that expectation gratified for whatever may be urged by ministers or those whom vanity or interest make the followers of ministers concerning the necessity of confidence in our governors and the presumption of prying with profane eyes into the recesses of policy it is evident that this reverence can be claimed only by councils yet unexecuted and projects suspended in deliberation but when the design has ended in miscarriage or success when every eye and every year is witness to general discontent or general satisfaction it is then a proper time to disentangle confusion and illustrate obscurity to show by what causes every event was produced and in what effects it is likely to terminate to lay down with distinct particularity what rumour always huddles in general exclamation or perplexes by indigested narratives footnote in the original undigested end of footnote to show whence happiness or calamity is derived and whence it may be expected and honestly to lay before the people what inquiry can gather of the past and conjecture can estimate of the future dr lucas i tied forty seven here we have it assumed as an incontrovertible principle that in this country the people are the superintendents of the conduct and measures of those by whom government is administered of the beneficial effect of which the present reign afforded an illustrious example when addresses from all parts of the kingdom controlled an audacious attempt to introduce a new power subversive of the crown Footnote. in the spring of seventeen eighty four after the king had taken advantage of fox's india bill to dismiss the coalition ministry and a, footnote. a still stronger proof of his patriotic spirit appears in his review of an essay on waters by dr lucas of whom after describing him as a man well known to the world for his daring defiance of power when he thought it exerted on the side of wrong he thus speaks the irish ministers drove him from his native country by a proclamation in which they charged him with crimes of which they never intended to be called to the proof 
and oppressed by methods equally irresistible by guilt and innocence let the man thus driven into exile for having been the friend of his country be received in every other place as a confessor of liberty and let the tools of power be taught in time that they may rob but they cannot impoverish Footnote. in ireland there was no act to limit the duration of parliament one parliament sat through the whole reign of george the second thirty-three years dr lucas a dublin physician in attacking other grievances attacked also this in seventeen forty nine he would have been elected member for dublin had he not on a charge of seditious writings been committed by the house of commons to prison he was to be confined he was told in the common hall of the prison among the felons he fled to england which was all that the government wanted and he practised as a physician in london in seventeen sixty one he was restored to the liberties of the city of dublin and was also elected one of its members hardy's lord chalmont and the gentleman's magazine End of footnote. some of his reviews in this magazine are very short accounts of the pieces noticed and i mention them only that dr johnson's opinion of the works may be known but many of them are examples of elaborate criticism in the most masterly style in his review of the memoirs of the court of augustus he has the resolution to think and speak from his own mind regardless of the cant transmitted from age to age in praise of the ancient romans Footnote. boswell himself falls into this cant see post september the twenty second seventeen seventy seven end of footnote thus i know not why any one but a schoolboy in his declamation should whine over the commonwealth of rome which grew great only by the misery of the rest of mankind the romans like others as soon as they grew rich grew corrupt and in their corruption sold the lives and freedoms of themselves and of one another again a people who while they were poor robbed mankind and as soon as they became rich robbed one another Footnote. he vigorously attacks the style in which these memoirs are written sometimes he writes the reader is suddenly ravished with a sonorous sentence of which when the noise is past the meaning does not long remain End of footnote in his review of the miscellanies in prose and verse published by elizabeth harrison but written by many hands he gives an eminent proof at once of his orthodoxy and candour the authors of the essays in prose seem generally to have imitated or tried to imitate the copiousness and luxuriance of mrs rowe footnote the author of friendship and death end of footnote this however is not all their praise they have laboured to add to her brightness of imagery her purity of sentiments dr watts anno domini seventeen fifty six the poets have had dr watts before their eyes a writer who if he stood not in the first class of genius 
compensated that defect by a ready application of his powers to the promotion of piety the attempt to employ the ornaments of romance in the decoration of religion was i think first made by mr boyle's martyrdom of theodora but boyle's philosophical studies did not allow him time for the cultivation of style and the completion of the great design was reserved for mrs rowe dr watts was one of the first who taught the dissenters to write and speak like other men by showing them that elegance might consist with piety Footnote. in the lives of the poets johnson writes dr watts was one of the first authors that taught the dissenters to court attention by the graces of language whatever they had among them before whether of learning or acuteness was commonly obscured and blunted by coarseness and inelegance of style he showed them that zeal and purity might be expressed and enforced by polished diction End they would have both done honour to a better society footnote. such he dr watts was as every christian church would rejoice to have adopted lives of the poets see also post july the seventh seventeen seventy seven and may the nineteenth seventeen seventy eight in a footnote for they had that charity which might well make their failings be forgotten and with which the whole christian world might wish for communion they were pure from all the heresies of an age to which every opinion has become a favourite that the universal church has hitherto detested this praise the general interest of mankind requires to be given to writers who please and do not corrupt who instruct and do not weary but to them all human eulogies are vain whom i believe applauded by angels and numbered with the just johnson's reply to hanway's attack anno domini seventeen fifty six johnson's defence of t Etat, 47. his defence of tea against mr jonas hanway's violent attack upon that elegant and popular beverage footnote. mr hanway would have had the support of johnson's father who as his son writes considered tea as very expensive and discouraged my mother from keeping company with the neighbours and from paying visits or receiving them she lived to say many years after that if the time were to pass again she would not comply with such unsocial injunctions account of johnson's early life page eighteen the methodists ten years earlier than hanway had declared war on tea after talking largely with both the men and women leaders writes wesley we agreed it would prevent great expense as well of health as of time and of money if the poorer people of our society could be persuaded to leave off drinking of tea wesley's journal volume one page five to six pepys writing in sixteen sixty says i did send for a cup of tea a china drink of which i never had drank before pepys's diary volume one page one three seven horace walpole letters writing in seventeen forty three says 
they have talked of a new duty on tea to be paid by every housekeeper for all the persons in their families but it will scarce be proposed tea is so universal that it would make a greater clamour than a duty on wine in october seventeen thirty four tea was sold in london at the following prices ordinary bohee nine shillings per pound fine bohee ten shillings to twelve shillings per pound pico fifteen shillings per pound hyson twenty shillings to twenty five shillings per pound gentleman's magazine volume four page five seven five into footnote his defence of tea etc shows how very well a man of genius can write upon the slightest subject when he writes as the italians say con amore i suppose no person ever enjoyed with more relish the infusion of that fragrant leaf than johnson Footnote. yet in his reply to mr hanway he said i allowed tea to be a barren superfluity neither medicinal nor nutritious that neither supplied strength nor cheerfulness neither relieved weariness nor exhilarated sorrow cumberland writes memoirs i remember when sir joshua reynolds at my house reminded dr johnson that he had drank eleven cups he replied sir i did not count your glasses of wine why should you number up my cups of tea and then laughing in perfect good humour he added sir i should have released the lady from any further trouble if it had not been for your remark but you have reminded me that i want one of the dozen and i must request mrs cumberland to round up my number End of footnote. the quantities which he drank of it at all hours were so great that his nerves must have been uncommonly strong not to have been extremely relaxed by such an intemperate use of it Footnote. in this review johnson describes himself as a hardened and shameless tea-drinker who has for twenty years diluted his meals with only the infusion of this fascinating plant whose kettle has scarcely time to cool who with tea amuses the evening with tea solaces the midnight and with tea welcomes the morning that he never felt the least inconvenience from it may well be doubted his nights were almost always bad in seventeen seventy four he recorded i could not drink this day either coffee or tea after dinner i know not when i missed before the next day he recorded last night my sleep was remarkably quiet i know not whether by fatigue in walking or by forbearance of tea diary of a journey into north wales august the fourth and a footnote he assured me that he never felt the least inconvenience from it which is a proof that the fault of his constitution was rather a too great tension of fibres than the contrary mr hanway wrote an angry answer to johnson's review of his essay on tea and johnson after a full and deliberate pause made a reply to it the only instance i believe in the whole course of his life when he condescended to oppose anything that was written against him i suppose when he thought of any of his little antagonists he was ever justly aware of the high sentiment of ajax in ovid 
iste tulit pretium jamnum cedeminis juis qui cum virtus erat mecum catasse pereto losing he wins because his name will be ennobled by defeat who durst contend with me dryden Ovid metamorphoses book thirteen number nineteen but indeed the good mr hanway laid himself so open to ridicule that johnson's animadversions upon his attack were chiefly to make sport Footnote. in hanway's essay johnson found much to praise hanway often went to the root when he dealt with the evils of life thus he writes the introducing new habits of life is the most substantial charity but he thus mingles sense and nonsense though tea and gin have spread their baneful influence over this island and his majesty's other dominions yet you may be well assured that the governors of the foundling hospital will exert their utmost skill and vigilance to prevent the children under their care from being poisoned or enervated by one or the other. End of section 36